0: Welcome to the Life's Better podcast, where we say life is so much better with God, community, and purpose. My name is Jonathan Gleason. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Josh, who is looking pretty fresh today. You've got yeah. you've got a new haircut. For those of you who Homemade. are only <laughs> listening, yeah, a little bit of YouTube, a little bit of your lovely wife
1: in yeah. the back, and
0: yeah. it looks, good. It, looks
1: yeah, good. it felt it felt really good, like that. Fir- those first couple of like. Trims and you just see like clumps of hair <laughs> fall off, you're like, yeah, like getting rid of it. And it's
0: at the end of summer, so you can still take advantage of it keeping you cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Nice. Well, on today's show, we're not just gonna be talking about like fashion tips and <laughs> haircuts. Uh, we're actually gonna be talking about this principle of the fact that we actually need to remove certain things in our lives in order to thrive tomorrow. And I want to introduce an exercise that I learned a couple of weeks ago, and I think it could really revolutionize how I lead myself well, and hopefully how you lead yourself too. Um, We're going to play a game, though, before we get into that content. Uh, This game is going to be referred to as idioms and etymology, which probably sounds like the world's... Worst game, but I think it could be fun. It'll be fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For uh, sure. Josh, I'm gonna let you go first. The okay. way this the way this works is Josh is gonna ask me. Uh, he's gonna share an idiom with me, and he's gonna see if I know what it actually means, and then see if I know the etymology of it, meaning the origin of how we even came uh, up with that idiom
1: in the first place. So, Josh, I'm yeah. gonna let you. So ask. you asked me to come up with some, and I decided to test because how, how long have you lived in the South? Uh, four years. Four years. So, like, you obviously weren't raised here, but you've been here long enough to maybe have heard a couple of sayings. We'll see. Uh, so all of mine are Southern (laughs) idioms. Okay. Uh, we're going to start with one that is actually the name of a restaurant here in town called Heaven's Tibetsy. Do you know what that one means?
0: Um, I think it typically
1: is, can you use it in a sentence? Is that, like, cheating? Oh, man. Um... Not this one. I can use any of the other ones in a sentence. It okay. Yeah. Doesn't isn't it typically
0: a a term or an expression? Maybe almost a frustration. Like oh, oh heavens to Betsy. I can't of, believe it. It's we're... an exclamation. Okay. For sure.
1: It's it's more surprised. Okay. Like, it means that you're surprised by something. Like oh heavens to Betsy. Like gotcha. like something's happened. But you're right. A lot of people maybe use it in, a, in like a negative way. So
0: maybe a half point on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> a half
1: point. Uh, so. Let me see if I can do the
0: etymology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, heavens to Betsy. Uh, I'm guessing. I mean, it has to do something. It's spiritual in the sense that, you know, heaven is.
1: (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I have no idea. So this one, this one's kind of cheating because there's. All the other ones have, like, exact origins, okay. but there's, like, two or three that, like, this so might st- be attributed to. I'm hoping to. you start it out hard and it'll get I easier. Did. Okay, I good. Okay. Uh, this one was, uh, some attribute it to, like, Betsy Ross, like, oh. exclaiming about her, or uh, more likely there's a Frontiersman rifle called Old Betsy. Interesting. And so people use this, and, and you'll see this in, like, a lot of things, like, Oh sake type of thing, sure. where you just replace something that people are worried is taking the Lord's name in vain and just throwing another name in there. <laughs> gotcha. And so Betsy was used as kind of like, a, instead of exclaiming and sure. taking the Lord's name in vain. Oh my goodness. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, yeah, same thing, yeah. Okay, no, that was so, good. I didn't know that one. Okay, yeah. uh,
0: this one I think is a fairly
1: easy one, but I mm-hmm. hope I'm not setting you up for failure by saying that. You're barking up the wrong tree. Barking up the wrong tree means you got the wrong guy. Like you're, 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 you're uh, you, who you're accusing is innocent, essentially. Yeah, you're heading in the wrong direction, mm. either yeah, yeah.
0: with an accusation or an activity or a thought. Mm. Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah. Etymology? I would say it has... Some, it's got to be like uh, maybe a cat ran up a tree and a dog thought the cat went up one tree and he's barking at a different tree. Yeah. Like, yeah it's to be something like that.
0: That's pretty much it. I, uh, from what I found out, and during the 1800s, uh, hunting with dogs was really mm-hmm. popular. And so, if they were hunting, say, you know, a squirrel or a raccoon, oftentimes they'd run up one tree. And particularly if another tree was close, they could jump over to another tree. Oh, and yeah. the dogs would still think they're underneath that tree, but they'd have moved on. So, yeah, I think you got two points on that one. That's okay, cool,
1: good. cool. Uh, now I feel bad because <laughs> I'm, I'm rocking a half point. <laughs> I intentionally chose bad ones. Um, so, this one is. You're going to get at least one point on it. Okay. It's uh, the saying, matter than a wet hen. So it's more like a simile than an idiom, but it is an idiom. Matter
0: than a wet hen. Okay, first of all, I've never heard that. Really? Never. Never heard that.
1: That Every single person in Lawrenceburg, I guarantee you, has heard it before. Matter than a wet hen. hen.
0: I assume it's just an expression of anger.
1: Yes. Yes. So one point. And I
0: assume that hens... Unlike ducks and geese don't really like being wet, so they get angry when yeah, they're wet.
1: The, I would say half point. <laughs> okay. It, this one's more difficult. Um I had to I I knew kind of the answer to this one, but not really. So, um, farmers, uh I don't know if they still do this or not. Maybe we can ask around our <laughs> church. Uh send us a comment if if you know uh if they still do something or not. But Uh, hens get into this thing called brooding where they just won't lay eggs anymore. And it's because they're frustrated because the eggs they are laying aren't hatching. And so they'll just refuse to lay eggs and sit on their eggs forever. And and they'll just get really mad, especially if you don't have a rooster. like They're never going to hatch. So in order to get them laying eggs again... Uh, farmers used to take the angry brooding hen and dunk it in cold water. Really? And doing so would make it angry <laughs> even more, but it would eventually lead to it not being, or at least they thought, would okay. lead to them not brooding anymore.
0: No, that, that's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that that phrase or the etymology of it, but that's good. So Are I you, got, did I get a point and a half on that I one? I would say point and a so half. So I half. got a Easy. solid two points, sounds like. Okay, so we're tied, but here's your <laughs> next one: um, a dime a
1: dozen. Dime a dozen. You know, I feel like I've used this incorrectly before, so I'm going to learn something. Okay. Uh, a dime a dozen is normally used to say something is common. Yeah, right? nailed it. That's exactly it. Okay. Yeah. What okay. do you think about the origin? I, I have no idea. School. I have no idea where that one would have
0: come from. So I'm going back to the 1800s again. Okay. So. During that time period, a lot of different items were actually sold in dozens. And they, for example, eggs still sold in dozens. But certain fruit, like apples and other things. And they were
1: charged normally a dime for that dozen. And so that's where that comes from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense then. Okay. Uh, And I've used that incorrectly definitely than before because I remember somebody correcting me when I used it to mean something was uncommon. And they're like... What do you mean by that? So I learned the wrong way, which is normally how I learn how idioms really work. All okay, right, this is this is my last one. Okay. Unless you want to, we can do bonus points since I went hard ones and I have a fourth one. Um, this one is maybe a little more difficult, uh, but it is, you, you, you say that someone is high on the hog. Yeah, okay, I, I have heard okay, cool, high, cool. high on the hog. You've heard um, this one, but you've not heard "Madder than a wet hen." You know that's in, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't. I don't think I've ever personally used this one. So high on the hog, isn't it in a reference to uh, someone thinking they're better than they should? There's like someone has some sort of ego issue. Okay,
1: kind of. Okay, kind of. It, I would say that it definitely can be used that way. In general, it just means somebody is living li- luxuriously. Okay. Or, or they are okay. living their life to the fullest. So, okay. like if somebody is doing really, really great, or you see them spending lots of money or gotcha. see them enjoying a vacation, that person's heart. high on the hawk. Uh, I, I would say uh, you, yeah. you, you kind of get a point for that one. Eh, maybe. Uh, Wait, it, let me see if entomology. I. Let
0: me, let me see. Uh, I'm going to go with the fact that, you know, pigs have typically been a sign of wealth and prosperity. If you've, Got the ability to eat bacon and ham and all that stuff. Guess what? You're doing well. It has something to do with that.
1: No, not not really. <laughs> this right. is one that right. I didn't know actually. Okay. Uh, so it's attributed to the late 1800s, uh, but it was popularized in the 1930s. Uh, the upper part of a pig is the best meats the best part of the pig. That's the good cut. So, yeah, it's the good cuts and so that's why I, I didn't know that. I would have guessed this sim- something similar to what you said, but I don't I even know that, if I, I
0: agree cool. with that because like bacon, I'm pretty sure is like the underbelly and bacon's like the best Well, cut. you got like the
1: well, I don't know. The don't ribs either. like are pretty high. Maybe high in the 1800s. They, 1800s. they really so, like that yeah. upper back stuff. <laughs> okay.
0: All right, last one for you. Practice what you preach,
1: man. I mean, that one just means like if you're gonna say it, you better be doing it as well. Um, where, where did where that above came from? I would attribute that to like Jesus, right? Awesome. <laughs> like, yes. Okay.
0: <laughs> ding, ding. Okay. Correct on both accounts. Okay, cool. It actually comes straight from Matthew chapter 23, Jesus' warning about being, you know, hypocritical. Mm. He's specifically looking at the religious leaders and he says, don't be like those guys because they don't practice what they preach. That's it. That's it. Now, the reason why we landed on that, uh, that last idiom is... Because I have not always been practicing what I preach. So this is like confession time. I don't always practice what I preach. I'm reminded of this. We did a series in May actually entitled Thrive. And one of the the big goals was just to kind of work our way through John chapter 15, where Jesus uses these great analogies, specifically of a grapevine, uh, the importance of actually remaining in him. And there's this moment where he says, hey, there's certain things that need to be pruned out of your life in order for you to bear much fruits, just like a grapevine. And I love that idea. I love the idea that certain things need to be removed from my life hmm. in order for me to thrive. But there's so many times where I don't actually practice hmm. preaching that. Uh, and I think sometimes, you know, you could talk about sin and other attitudes and other behaviors, but I think for me where it resonates is there are certain activities that I will just naturally say yes to, and because I say yes to those events, those invitations, it actually keeps me from maybe actually living my highest and best in another area of Mm -hmm. my life. And so, again, in just a moment, we're going to kind of walk us through, I'm going to walk you through an exercise that will help us kind of gain some perspective on this. But uh, before we do that, um, what I want to do is just kind of ask you, Josh, in in your life, where have you seen yourself maybe saying yes to certain activities? and, And in so doing, maybe actually neglecting an activity that would have even been better
1: yeah so i had last time i preached which was like two or three weeks ago i mentioned this uh something that even just recently i've decided yeah i probably need to use this as like a teaching thing uh but before that it was just you know some guilt thinking about those (laughs) times in my life but uh, my sophomore year of college i really i hadn't grown up to the to the Managing my time well, I hadn't grown up to knowing that you know school was important and deciding that for myself, and so there were a lot of times where friends in college would know that I had class, they'd be like, "Well, we're gonna go to the lake. Do you want to come with us?" And I'm like, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> just like that's what I want to do. I don't want to go to class. Uh, and you know, there were there was some panic moments by the end of that <laughs> that that school year that I realized, wow, I came dangerously close to. Yeah. Failing out, that I realized obviously I was saying yes to things I probably shouldn't have. Been. Yeah,
0: no, I think that's a great example, one that we probably all lived out on some level. I think the tension that we oftentimes find ourselves in is the fact that we can do anything, but not everything particularly when it, when it comes to the United States, the resources that we have, the money that we have. I mean, for the most part, we can kind of do almost anything that we want. If you want to learn a, lo- uh, a new language, mm. guess what? There's bio- uh, there's apps on your phone that allow you to begin doing that for free today. Yeah. You could learn that. Uh, maybe it's a new instrument. You could throw away the guitar and pick up the piccolo. I don't know uh, <laughs> how much those are, but you could probably figure it out and YouTube would be able to tell, uh, tell you how to do that if you wanted a career in business, you could get a degree in business. The problem is saying yes to those activities typically means you have to say no to something else. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, you can actually say, uh, make a decision to even go into outer space. Like that's that's where we're at as a uh, as a nation. It will only cost you $250,000 though. Have you heard about this? No, I've this, this is a special plane that will take you for $250,000, take you out of the upper atmosphere into technically outer space, for $250,000.
1: Now, that's crazy. Now let's go ahead and
0: say Josh, you say yes to that activity. What are some what are what are you going to have to say no to because you said yes to the $250,000 space adventure?
1: Living in a home. <laughs> Probably being married to my wife. (laughs) Yes. Lots of different things. Saying yes to that means saying no to
0: so many things in life. And this is really the reality that we find ourselves in. We live in a world, really, of trade-offs. When you say yes to one thing, oftentimes it means saying no to something else. And as frustrating as that is, I think it's important for us to recognize that's actually how God designed our life to be managed, that he has designed us not to do everything, but to actually make choices and have intention with our lives. For example, um, let's just look at Jesus for a moment, lived three years, Mm -hmm. sorry, he lived from 33 years. Uh, his ministry, let's clarify, his ministry uh, was three years. I understand. <laughs> Thank you. Hopefully other people did too. And uh, and in that three years, I mean, he did a ton of stuff that just transformed our world. But let's just think for a moment about all the things that he didn't do mm-hmm. in that three-year time period. I mean, did he, did he heal everyone in Palestine? No. I mean, not even Palestine, let alone the world. Uh, Did he have a cup of cold water with every Samaritan woman that he came in contact with? Hmm. I mean, no. But one woman, man, was deeply changed by that encounter. Uh, Did he make sure that everyone in Jerusalem got FaceTime with him where he did personal teaching with them? No. No. But his disciples got that for three years. Hmm. And so when you look at Jesus and you think to yourself, oh my goodness, okay, he lived A perfect life and part of that perfect life was not trying to do everything well that gives us perspective maybe in our own lives that maybe we're not called to do everything but maybe we're called to say yes to the right things just like Jesus did and I I don't know for me I oftentimes wonder okay how did Jesus get to that point Uh, on one hand he's divine yeah um, but on the other hand he's fully human so what were some of the practices that got him to the point where he knew hey? I'm going to say yes to this. I'm going to say yes to this purpose of bringing healing to humanity. I'm going to bring. I'm going to say yes to actually training individuals who will continue that ministry when I ascend into heaven. Uh, But I'm going to say no to a lot of things. Um, One of the things that he did, uh, as I was reflecting on this, you know, right after he got baptized and right before he began his earthly ministry, what did he do for forty days? He went into the desert. Fasted, connected with God for 40 days in the desert. I think there was plenty of of times and moments in that experience, even in that temptation that came through that experience, where God was preparing him for that mission, for that intentionality Mm -hmm. and purpose for his next three years of life. Uh, Oftentimes we see in the Gospels, even before other people are up, he's been up and he's been talking to God, connecting with his Father, Seeing what uh, what God really has designed His day to be, um, we see Him even you know staying awake when other people are trying to sleep, mm-hmm. connecting with God in prayer, uh, so that when you know we've got uh, religious leaders that come and say, "Hey, you're not the Messiah that we expected. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that." Hey like, Jesus, it was an easy no. I don't think you guys get it. See, I'm saying yes to this over here, so it's an easy no to all of you. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to get. To that point, and I think it, it brings up an interesting question. You know, how can we become more intentional with our yeses and with our our nos? And I think part of it is just well, seeing what Jesus says about it. Uh, Josh, you know, we talk about a lot here at the church, but you know, what are the three things that Jesus says is so critical when it comes to living out the Christian faith?
1: Yeah, it's the the well he got asked specifically what are the two greatest commandments, which was love God and love others. But then his last like words to the people were, you need to go make disciples. So, uh, yeah, those three things. Yeah.
0: I mean, loving God, loving people and leading people to Jesus and his forgiveness and grace. And I I know for me, and I know for you for sure, that's oftentimes the filter that we use Hmm. to determine our yes and our no. But I don't know about you, but sometimes that's not a tight enough filter for me. Hmm. Because there is a narrative that I have that goes on in my mind. And it basically says, okay, if it's helpful to someone at some point, somehow, uh, maybe I should probably say yes to it, right? (laughs) That's probably not the best question to be asking, though. Uh, Let's put it into perspective. Uh, I'm going to give you a scenario. I want to see how you would react in the scenario. All right, maybe you've got... A buddy in college who's still kind of living the party lifestyle. I don't know if that's true or not for you, but let's say you get a call from this guy uh, and he says, "Hey, Josh, this weekend, ditch Emily, let's go party. Uh, You know, let's let's meet some girls. We'll have a great time." What you're gonna, what's your response to that request gonna be?
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) Yeah, why not? (laughs) Well, for one, I would have maybe considered yes. If he hadn't said, ditch your wife, we're going to go meet girls. <laughs> yeah. But that would have immediately been like, red flag, red flag, red flag, let's not do this. But then, yeah, like, my time is a lot. Like, I have things on the weekends that I have to do, yeah. like, with church. And I have responsibilities that are way more important than just some weekend time spent partying. Yeah, you, You've probably... Fed it through
0: that filter of okay, is this gonna be loving to my wife? Hmm. Uh, is this gonna be loving to God and the commitment that I made to my wife hmm. and to ministry <laughs> and the example to the students that I work with? Okay, yeah, uh, no, I'm gonna to have to turn that uh, you know that invitation down. Let me give you another one. This one's trickier though. Okay. okay, someone in the church gives you a call and says, "Hey, I've got this great idea." Uh, this Saturday, how about you, me, and a few other people get together and we make some meals for some needy folks in our community. Let's go out and let's let's pray with people, provide food, and maybe even lead some people to Christ uh, through evangelism. What are you going to say to that
1: invitation? That would, well, I would obviously need to make sure nothing is going on that weekend with sure. my wife, who controls the schedule, uh, but... Most likely a yes for me. Yeah. yeah. Because again, that filter of, well, does it love God? Does
0: it love people? Does it potentially lead others to Christ? Yeah, it's like fire on all cylinders yeah. there. Now again, for me, that narrative of, well, does it, uh, you know, is it going to help somebody at some point? You know, okay, I got to say yes. It, it even fits into that so well. The problem is, that's probably not the best question we should be asking. Mm. The best question to ask might be, and this is where... This is the, the exercise that I told you about uh, early in the show. Does it actually fit into the 90% rule? Does it fit with the 90% rule? Now, this is a rule that I actually learned a couple of weeks ago from Greg McGowan um, in, his books, uh, in his book Essentialism. And basically what he said is, you know, when it comes to your choices, it's probably really important for us to... To really see where the invitation, where the activity lies, in a scale between one and a hundred, like put it all on that scale. Is it a one or somewhere in between? You know that and a hundred. Uh, and if it's not a ninety or above, you should probably say n- no to that invitation. Let me try to explain what I mean by this. Josh, let's say you got really into ballet. Um, And so you were like, Jonathan, this is like the greatest experience ever. This weekend, let's go ballet dancing. Uh, There's a place down in Lexington. We can just... Go hog wild! I don't know if that's an idiom you're familiar with, but that is. okay. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, if you if you threw that out there, Josh, that would that would rank one for me. That would <laughs> that would be really low. And you might be able to sell it to me. You're like, well, hey, not only can we bond, uh, but on top of that, who knows? We might be able to meet some people that don't know Christ, and we might be able to lead them to Christ. And you know, even though it feels like a one. If I'm asking that question, well, does it help somebody at some point in some way? I'm probably going to end up saying yes, even though I might be hating it the entire time. Uh, you in in tights? I don't know. That's just maybe it's me in tights that I'm so afraid of. I don't. I'm not sure. But that, that's a one for me. However, Josh, if you came to me and said, "Hey, we've got this." Group of uh, exchange students. There's like a hundred thousand of them, and they are just ready to hear the gospel message. And John, would you be willing to share the gospel message this Saturday with these students? I mean, that's a hundred. That's mm. like seriously. They're ready, and they're ripe, and they're excited about it. I, I'm there. I'm gonna go you know, and say yes to that. And so there's the the scale. The problem is sometimes we get these invitations that are 65, mm. and it's like, okay, well that that's pretty good. And we get this invitation that may even be 85. We're like, yeah, but that's that's really, I should probably say yes to this. But when you start saying yes to that, you end up saying no to those other activities that would allow you to even bear even greater fruit in your life if you would have simply said yes to those activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll try to share another example of how this uh, might play out in your guys' life. For me... I have some activities in my morning uh, that are pretty important. We've talked about this before. But I oftentimes get people asking requests of me in the morning, saying, hey, you know, can you meet? Uh, can you do this ministry? Can you do this teaching? It's not a big deal for me. I am an early riser, so that's not a problem. I'm an early riser. Yeah, I can do this. But I've already said yes to 90%. Activities that I would deem as being in that 90%. This is what allows me to live my highest and best in the purpose that God has called me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of that is actually I wake up and I and I exercise. Uh, that's that's a 90 for me because I want to stay healthy. God has given me this body and I want to take I want to be a good steward of it. On top of that, my morning is probably the best time that I really engage in personal Bible study in prayer. And then there's some other morning activities. I love waking my boys up. That's like one of the best parts of my day, hugging them, getting them ready, making breakfast together. And then what do we do? Well, then we open up scripture. We go through practices of gratitude and prayer. And those are all in that morning hour, uh, hours, 90% activities that I want to say yes to. So if you come to me with you know, a request that really only fits that, that 50%, mm-hmm. it's an easy, sorry, no, my mornings are already booked. Um, and I know, Josh, for you. In school, yours should have been 90. Yeah. How How do you think you could, I guess at the uh, at the heart of this question is, how did you get to a point where you recognized that it was a 90 and the lake activities
1: might have been more of like an 80, 75? Well, uh, other than the fact that it was uh, a wake-up call at the end of that semester that I almost... Yeah, maybe yeah, that was it. That was, that was probably, uh, I actually met with one of my... Uh, A few of my professors, they wanted to meet with me, but Mm I I obviously had uh, my advisor, and she was like, you know, I see a lot of potential Mm -hmm. in in your ministry, but this can, this time here can really make or break that, Uh, and you got to commit to it if this is going to be something that you really actually want to do long term, and so yeah, it was obviously not even just a 90, I was a 100, this needs to become a priority for my life, not only to pass and get a degree, but also what it's going to fill me, how it's going to affect my ministry later. Uh, I just remember her saying something along the lines of, you know, I, I still wish that I would have paid attention more, asked this type of question to my teachers when I was in school. And once you get out, you you realize how, how much you took for granted in terms of how much you were being poured into. Uh, and if you don't retain that, then you're going to be wanting more when you get out uh, and you realize you you don't have that as much because you're pouring out less than you're getting poured into and so no she was absolutely right like that was that was a big moment in my college career I guess yeah Yeah.
0: no I'm I'm glad you had that it was a professor yeah yeah I'm glad you had the professor that spoke that truth in your life because I think your experience here may not have happened yeah. 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 had you continued to say yes to those 60%, 70% opportunities of just hanging out and yeah. goofing around with your friends. I mean, great relationship bonding, but if it's going to keep you from what God is really calling you to and that fruit that you are clearly bearing now in your ministry with students and worship and tech and all the other things that you're doing, my goodness, you, you would have missed out on what God is hmm. really allowing you to do now. That's a great, That's a great testimony. Um, so here's what I don't want you to hear in this podcast. I do not want to hear you guys say, well, this is a great opportunity for me to say no to everything. (laughs) Like, this is not what I'm trying to say. Uh, What this is, is that exercise, that 90% exercise is an opportunity to say yes to the right things. Uh, There's plenty of times where I'll talk with people and they'll, they'll explain, well, you know, I can't do that because, you know, I need some me time. Absolutely. Of course you need some me time. But is it possible that you need the me time because you're saying yes to all these 50, 45, 65% opportunities, and you're actually saying no to a 90% or higher opportunity? I think about this even when we're we're kind of launching life groups as a church. And a lot of people would say, well, you know, I'm, we're just so busy with sports. Sports is great. But your kids probably don't need to be in 10 different sporting activities. Yeah. And so saying no to a few of those so that you can be a part of actually building community with Christian brothers and sisters where you can actually be growing in your relationship with God and and being fueled for greater purpose and significance. Yeah, say no to some of those sporting activities so you can say yes to the the greater uh, fruit that God wants to produce in your life. So in recap, I just want to say make it a priority to really identify what that 90% yes would even be, what it would look like. Get really familiar with it so that when those invitations, when those opportunities come, you know what to say yes to and you may know what to say maybe later uh, or straight up no to. Uh, I think it's also important to get comfortable uh, saying no in a polite way. Uh, I think the best way, the best strategy that I've used is simply to explain the 90% activity that I've already said yes to. So if someone says, Hey, can you do this? They, oh man, that sounds wonderful. But I've actually already committed to these things. And because I've already committed to these things, I'm going to have to pass on that one. Now there may be a little bit of, Oh, I can't believe you didn't come through for me, but they will respect you more later down the road because you know your purpose and what God has called you to. And they'll actually look up for you, look up to you for it. So Until then, uh, the next time we meet, I encourage you guys to be thinking through that 90% rule. And please do not forget that life is so much better with God, community, and purpose.